the global co-working and conference community, we've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this exciting bonus episode of the Juicy Podcast. I have my friend Nick Clark, the CEO and founder of Common Desk with us. And we're here to give you a little precursor on things that you should be thinking about and maybe talking about a Juicy because Nick and I were having a rather heated debate. And I'm like, we got to capture this. Heated so, up is the right word for it. But, you know, we were having <laughs> Wonderful and lovely conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nick, you know how I always begin this. How the hell are you? I'm good. I'm really good. You know, we've got a seven-year-old or about to be seven at the house. And so we're having fun with him and we're just trying to relax going into the summer and enjoy life a little bit. And so things are, things are good. Oh, awesome. Do you have any trips planned? Uh, We go down to, I think we've talked about this before, but we go down to Nicaragua a good bit. Mm-hmm. And we're actually going at the very end of May, which I haven't been since 2019. So mm-hmm. I haven't been since the pandemic. And so I'm interested to get back down there and see how things have changed. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm taking a trip at the end of May too, but I'm just going to Florida. Nice. Yeah. And how's business? Business is good. We, you know, I think everybody's seen some similar stuff out there right now. And the fact that it does feel like the demand side of the business when it comes to our our members is just as high as it's ever been. We're struggling probably in a lot of the same areas that everyone else is struggling with. Our urban core locations have been a little bit slower to come back and our suburban locations are relatively doing really well. So I think, you know, when we look at the KPIs of the business, it's been pretty strong across the board. It's, it is getting increasingly more difficult to get new deals done right now, just with mm. the cost of capital out there for both us and our landlord partners and everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Like, I am a little bit afraid of the future for real estate office sector in particular. I really don't think people are going to come back ever in the way that we were before, like where it's just like, hey, you have to go to work and work means that you come to this sometimes soulless office and do whatever I pay you to do here. And that people are going to continue to be like, yeah, that doesn't work for me anymore and demand hybrid and remote work. Like, how are you feeling about the future of the real estate office sector, like in general? Yeah, I'm probably more bearish than most on the future of office. I mean, I I just I do believe that we we have to have more of a reason than ever before to kind of to to be able to demand people coming back to the office. And and there's there's a ton of pushback on that. I think you're going to see more hybrid options out there. And I think as as we start to work through the rent rolls of all of these different buildings over the next five years, even the companies that have already committed to saying that they're going back, I'm not sure that we're going to see them continuing to take you know 100% of the space that they've had in the past. I think you're going to see more companies downsize to go to a little bit more of a hybrid model, which is going to produce a ton of vacancy out there. And you're going to see a lot of these 
landlords giving the keys back to the banks, which is going to be an issue for all of the, the different banks out there. And so I think we're going to, we're heading into a tough time, which, which always means there's new opportunity as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that's kind of where we got started a couple of weeks ago with our conversation, but I, I'm excited for those opportunities and excited for some of the new ideas that might be entering the flex office world over the next couple of years, because as you know, you and I both started our our co-working brands back kind of right after the last re- big recession. Yeah, and that's when that's obviously when co-working just blew up. And so I think we're going to see some new innovation in this next cycle that that gets me excited. Yeah, I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about turning it into apartments and like things, you know, different things like that. I know, like I'm on the board of Greenlight Go, and we're excited to talk to people about the potential of putting in, you know, TV and movie production into space that's been abandoned. But I also think there's a huge opportunity for you guys to help out landlords, as you always have been, who are now going to have some vacant space and not know what to do with it. That's very true. I think it's just, it's becoming increasingly difficult to go out and find the capital improvement dollars that it takes mm-hmm. to space ready to be serviced by a group a group like us, you know, and so I, you know, with the cost of capital continuing to go up, I think it's going to take, you know, I think some of the things that I'm interested in, you know, leading into Juicy are just maybe some of the ideas that's kind of taking the existing landscape or the existing improvements and turning it into something that can cash flow for landlords out there. I think we're going to have to find new, innovative, more cost efficient ways to do what we do in this business. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the dirty little secret of co-working is there's not great margin. No. Yeah. And that's that's, (laughs) that's something I've I've seen over the last few years, especially as you know, everybody's become a bit obsessed with going out and securing these asset light management agreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you can understand why typically the landlord is poning up most, if not all of the capital improvements to get your brand into a new space. And so mm-hmm. that on paper sounds great, right? Except for the fact that they are taking the lion's share of the profit to pay them back for the $150 a square foot they invested into that space. And so it takes massive scale to make money on that on mm-hmm. that side of the business but then even with you know if you're signing traditional leases which there's still a number n- number of operators out there that'll do that i mean over the last 10 years rental rates have gone through the roof and you know maybe there's a bit of a correction in the market coming but that you know that too even if you're signing traditional leases has has made this a much tighter business and i think that's where the problem really exists is the fact that we've had a ton of supply hit the market over the last mm-hmm. decade as well. Yeah. Our average membership rates have not increased at the rate that like rental rates and even our own OPEX has been going up. And so mm-hmm. I, that's, a, that's a problem for our brand. I see that as mm-hmm. being a problem for a lot of other brands out there um, to where we're, we're needing to find new innovative ways of building out space, operating the spaces in a more efficient manner so that we can make sure there's sustainable profitability. Whether you have one location or or 50 locations or 
900 locations. Yeah. And all while there's a lot of options for people now, more coming and people want more hospitality, more amenities and like the ways, a lot of the ways that you can differentiate yourself cost money. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And then I know in the podcast I did with Bill Bennett earlier this year, he was all about like, yeah, there's a, we got a capital problem. Can't get capital right now. So like, do you think there's ever a time, and I know actually you and I have talked about this before, where there's a different model for funding a building? Like what about community paying for the building? What about alternative funding sources? Is there something we're missing that could be an interesting future for real estate. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because if you look at like the capital debt stack of an office building, it's 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 not like it's insanely expensive, or at least it has been over the last few years. Um, obviously, our our cost of debt has gone up significantly over yeah. the last year. But I mean, those have have been decently in line. I think really, if what we have is a we've got a revenue problem, we got to go out and be able to find like more mm-hmm. revenue per square foot to make everything work. I think most co-working operators are able to top line, let's just call it in like a, we operate in Southern markets. And so our top line is somewhere between like 70 to $100 a square foot on a typical co-working space, which is probably similar to what other people are seeing. You know, but then you've got 20 plus dollars of co-working operating expenses. And then you've got a mm-hmm. $45 to $50 gross rent number that you're trying to cover. And that's where the margins have really... yeah. Really shrank, and so in in my opinion, it's not necessarily the fact that the cost of capital or the cost of the capital stack for the building it has gone up a bit, but it, but I really think it's more of a it's more of a revenue issue mm-hmm. that we need to try to try to solve for. And if we can't do that, then we've got to find more and more ways to operate more efficiently. Yeah, brands that are exploring doing more of an autonomous operation, which if you take people out of it. It's a very hard choice to make because I think people have been what makes co-working magical. That's what certainly Mm -hmm. is what has made Common Desk magical. And if you look at it, that's probably seven or eight dollars a square foot of your operating expenses. Where it's like, man, surely we can keep those people and go find that elsewhere. Yeah, Uh, that's where I'm like, I'm excited for Juicy this year because I'm like, man, I'm I'm ready to to see a few fresh new ideas on this. Yeah. With Common Desk, we were one of the first to go all in on these management agreements and mm-hmm. things that's worked out decently well for us. But what we have seen is that it does, it just it takes massive scale. And I get asked this question all the time. People are like, Hey, why are you why are you scaling the Common Desk brand so much? And the answer is honestly, because we have to. Yeah. Yeah. Have, I mean, how many locations I mean, are you guys up to now? I think we've got 23 that are actually operating and then four that are under construction right now. Wow. So we've been we've been signing about seven to nine new deals a year over the last couple of years, which we're we're kind of staying on that pace. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So um, the other thing that we chatted about is, you know, I'm a big fan of moving co-working. And I know you use Flex Office a lot, but you know my beef with Flex Office. Like Flex to me is just the real estate term that describes flexible leasing terms and co-working involves community. Which and- to be clear, I, I agree with you on that. I think I use <laughs> I use Flex Office to like encompass kind of everybody that's mm-hmm. out there doing their thing. And even I think 
within the common desk universe, we've got a couple of services like our Daymaker service, which basically furnishes spec suites for landlords. Where I'm like, that's not co-working. Just be clear. That, <laughs> that is flex office. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, yeah. Uh, and you know, I had my third space was called Link Flex because it was flexible office space on flexible terms. And yes. it wasn't fully staffed. Right. Yeah. So I was flexing back in 2015, FYI. You were early on the autonomous co-working. I was. <laughs> I was. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of reasons why I kind of want people to go into LinkedIn. I don't kind of, I 100% want co-working operators to go into LinkedIn and change their industry from real estate to hospitality, because I think we tend to be pigeonholed into the wrong industry. And to me, real estate is a portion of our business, of course, and a very important one. But our number one thing that we do is hospitality, which is meaning we care for humans. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I've gone and looked and like industrious is hospitality, uncommon is hospitality. So I think it makes sense. In addition to the fact that in four years now, the majority of U.S. leases are going to come due. And I think we're going to see a major correction in the real estate market because the other thing that I think everybody can kind of agree on is that what's happening for the real estate market is like watching a slow car crash. There is going to be a major correction. This is an industry ripe for disruption that hasn't been disrupted and it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And the only thing I really disagree with there is the fact that you can't get away from the real estate, right? Because the problem lies in the real estate. It's 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 not like we have we don't have a hospitality problem in co-working right now. Can people get better? Yes, of course. And we're hoping that that gets better year over year. And we've of course are in a element of hospitality. But it, even if you look at other hospitality companies, like big scaling restaurants out there, like a McDonald's. I mean, they are technically the real estate business. Yeah, uh, so is Starbucks. Right. So is Starbucks. Um, and and so are we. And I think the only the only danger with that is we're having to figure out all kinds of new ways of making this business work right now. If you're an if you're an operator and it's broken at the real estate level. Like rents are too rents are too expensive. Yeah. For there to be margin, the capital improvements associated with getting into new space have tripled in the last 10 years. And all mm -hmm. of this stuff blocking any one of us as an operator of going into that next new location, because no matter what your deal structure looks like, whether it's a lease or it's a management agreement, you have got to go out and find a significant amount of margin above your own operating expenses and above rent. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I say it's like, man, yes, like call it a hospitality business, call it whatever you want. But I think our real issue right now is trying to figure out how do you keep the magic that mm -hmm. you had over the last decade, the people, the experiences, the events, making memories for people and, and do so at margin. And that's that's what I feel like enough people, not enough people are talking about right now. And yeah. And I think like we need to have more conversations around that. And I think mm -hmm. that, that's also why you're starting to even see site selection from a real estate standpoint start. It's starting to really shift in the co-working business. Um, and that's because I think we're all trying to find where is the margin? 
you know, where can we go out and find more margin? Hey, hey, breaking in here to make sure that you're in the know. Our annual workspace conference, Juicy, is right around the corner. It's a three-day program taking place in Chicago, April 19th through the 21st. This year's event is going to be packed with amazing speakers, exciting panel discussions, and fireside chats, plus plenty of after-hours events for networking. Whether you're a co-working operator, landlord, or vendor, just interested in the future of work, this conference has something for you. It's divided into tracks so that you can attend the sessions that are most relevant to you right here, right now. Mark your calendar. April 19th through the 21st, and don't miss out on this opportunity to connect with others, learn from the best, and be a part of the co-working revolution. The content is great, but the people are better. You need to be in the room. Tickets are available at na.gcuc.co. Hope to see you there. Tell me more about that. What are you talking about in the site selection? Is it moving more suburban, or, or are we getting better opportunities in better places? Well, I, again, if you go back to like the era of co-working from 20, let's say 2016, 20 to 2019, you had a number of different co-working brands that were very well funded, right? We work being one of them. And because of that, a lot of, a, a lot of these operators were going into class AA trophy type buildings to where once again, depending on the market that you're in, rents mm-hmm. could be well above $70 gross a square foot, which it's really, really hard to go turn a profit in a building like that. And I think as rents have continued to increase, you've started to see operators go f- not just further out, so like further into the burbs or into a tertiary market, but you're also seeing them explore different types of real estate. We've seen operators having success in the first floor of multifamily mm-hmm. because landlords aren't looking for the same type of rent in, in that product. We're also seeing uh, like, for example, at Common Desk, we've seen a lot of success in suburban tilt wall office buildings, which if you would have told me that <laughs> eight to 10 years ago, I'd be like, man, if I lost my mind, we're going into urban tilt wall office buildings. But that is an environment where we can potentially go strike a, you know, a rental rate that's 15 to $20 a square foot less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a ton of rooftops that we're servicing and there's a need, right? Like, you know, people in those environments want really cool experiential office as well. And so it is really starting to change. I think the site selection for operators out there that are desperately trying to st- continue to look for the margin in the business. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? It's interesting. You know, you and I both have in common a developer here in Austin who shall re- remain unnamed. And um, one of the things I've noticed that he does, he's got about, I don't know, 50 or 80 buildings in Austin, is if he wants something like the best coffee shop in town or a particular restaurant to be a big draw for a particular building, he will be like, oh, I'll build it out for you. I'll give you all the equipment. And he's not asking for it back. He's giving them all of that to get their brand in the building. So at what point does co-working turn into that scenario? Because I think, you know, landlords all over the place know about co-working or flex or whatever you want to call it. And they understand that you need that vibrancy to help activate your building stack. So why aren't we getting offered the deals? Why aren't people giving us espresso machines? Well, I do think there's some of those deals out there, especially when you're looking at, I mean, if you're looking at a million plus square foot tower and Mm -hmm. you're going and taking 20, 30,000 square feet, that is a drop in the bucket. But um, where the analogy breaks down just a bit is, you know, 30,000 square feet of co-working is typically a four to $5 million check, which is 
a significant difference from a $250,000 coffee kiosk in the lobby or something of that nature. You know, and so it's just, you know, we are, we are in a business where it takes a significant amount of square footage to make it work, which also means that it takes a significant amount of capital. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever operators come up to me and they're like, I've got a location to sell. And I'm like, how big is it? And they're like 9,000 square feet. I'm like, it's too small to sell. Yep. And remember, I mean, that's, that's, that's the business has shifted significantly because 12 years ago when I came up to you at the very first juicy, I was like, you're like, how big of a space are you going to open? I go 20,000 square feet. And you're like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you're like, Start with three or four. And I was like, really? <laughs> it's good advice looking back, but, but you're right. I mean, it, because the spaces have got so much like significantly larger, mm-hmm. it is, it's a significant check, whether, whether the operator is striking it or the landlord is is striking that check. It's a lot of it's a lot of money. Um, which means that if the landlord has underwritten, let's call it sixty to seventy dollars in tenant improvements for this thirty thousand square feet and decides, hey, having this operator in is going to help my leasing efforts across the building, they still got to figure out how they're going to go out and cover the the other seventy-five to eighty dollars it's going to take to get you into that space, which mm-hmm. means there needs to be a return on investment on that capital which goes back to the margin of the business. Yeah. 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 Have have you like in your travels or just in looking around, seen anything in particular that you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's pretty cutting edge. Like I loved when Saltbox really came on the scene and what they're doing with warehousing, I think is so smart. And now I've already found five others that are basically copying them. You know, is there any other like niche player you've seen that you're like, that's hella smart? No, not of re- not of lately. I mean, I, I yeah. do think that there's like what I'm hoping for is like somebody who figures out a way of running somewhat autonomously where they can cut their operating expenses in half. But going back to the hospitality side of the business, maintain experience. And that's going to have to be like there's going to have to be systems in place that no operator currently has in order for that to happen. You know, and from there, I think we've already seen a number of different operators that are trying to operate within different asset classes. That's been around for a while, whether it's Mm -hmm. multifamily, making use of vacant churches, whatever it might be. But I don't know if that's the answer because there is so much, there is so much demand. We've got to figure out how to make it work in office buildings, in my opinion. And that demand is going to continue to soar, but we need to make sure it's working in that asset class. Well, and I mean, I think, you know, we haven't really seen a player really glom on to retail yet. And I think retail is fantastic for co-working because you have plenty of parking. You have, you know, walkability to usually really good amenity spaces that you yourself don't have to maintain. Like there could be a retail player. There's not anybody doing wellness at scale. Um, you know, I think there's just a ton of opportunity and a ton of niche opportunity as well. You know, the, the, there's a lot of single, there's a lot of operators that have like a few spaces, like for just women, but there's nobody national anymore. Those all got decimated in the pandemic. And the other thing of note is like, I think we're being really hard on ourselves and I think that's okay. I think that we need to evolve and we need to next level things, but we did just come out of a pretty ridiculous little. I I started with the fact that I'm one of the more bearish people in the room, which is why I'm excited for some new innovative ideas. 
you know, to come out. But I don't know, maybe flex just needs to get even more flex. I mean, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've been, you know, over the last decade, you know, we've, we basically do month to month terms, we'll do a six month term, we'll do 12 month terms, but you know, you're getting more value, the more flexible you are with your leasing terms. And so I, as we look at all of the companies that are accessing Common Desk these days, most of them, even if they have their own dedicated space, are coming in one, two, three times a week. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, it, there could be an opportunity for an operator to where they're pairing people up and they're building out space to where it's flexible on a daily basis to where you might have a dedicated office and one team takes it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the other takes it on Mondays and Wednesdays. And that could be a new way of generating way more revenue per square foot. I think we're going to see those type of services being provided directly to landlords with their spec suites because landlords are not going to figure that out. Going back to like the landlord side of the business, they don't want anything to do with the like the complexities in co-working or in the the true flex office business. But I'm amazed at how many of them try to start a brand. And there's only but there's only been what two or three that have been really successful with that. Totally. Yeah. The incredibly like vertical vertically integrated landlords that also have the exact right size of a portfolio. I think you've got plenty of landlords that are tempted to do that, but have less than 15 million square feet. And there's just not enough Mm -hmm. opportunities within their portfolio to spin up a brand. So there's only been a few of those, but I I do think that there's going to be new ideas around like how people are utilizing these spaces these days, mm-hmm. which is not Monday through Friday. Yeah, and the yeah. you know it could be an op- opportunity to spin up a service around that. Well, which- in London, they call the Tuesday to Thursday crowd the twats. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. That's 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 fun, but yeah. So you know, I I do think that we just especially as thought leaders in the industry, trying to focus people in on what is the problem. Right. right? And, right. you know, the problems are it costs a ton to build out these spaces. We got to figure out more ways to maximize the square footage or yep. how we're spinning up product around it to maximize revenue. And then new innovative ways to get operating expenses down. Yeah, for sure. And then, but I also just want to put a plug in for there's lots of things that people can be doing hospitality wise that cost next to nothing. I go into co-working spaces all over the world. I would say 80% of the time I'm not greeted. Like if you do, if you can't greet people coming into your space, you are missing a fantastic opportunity. And I see it all the time. So just like greeting people is a huge thing. Like, you know, back when I had a space and I've used this example a million times, but birthday cakes, like some people, that's probably the only place their birthday is getting celebrated. And that may be sad, but it's the truth. And it meant the world to people. It cost me 20 bucks to buy a cake and make somebody's entire day. And I mean, who doesn't want cake in the afternoon? You know, so it's like there's so many little things you can do to dramatically move that dial. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It takes systems and consistency and great training of your employees. That's true. And if you think about if you think about it this way, people are still coming into these co-working spaces because they want community and they want to be known, right? And so if you can take 15 minutes and have just a real conversation with somebody, there's a good chance that that 15 minutes is very well invested because that member is not going to stay three more months because they feel right. 
own inside of your space, inside of your community. So well, I'm not founding on any of those efforts. I think they absolutely produce fruit on the bottom line when you do it right. Well, and hello, also post-pandemic, it wouldn't be Liz Elam unless I mentioned that we have, you know, a global loneliness epidemic, off the chart suicide rates. Like part of the reason that I'm so passionate about co-working is I, we're providing the space where people often spend the majority of their day and that we have a responsibility and and an opportunity to help people feel connection and belonging and community. And those are things that are just frankly missing in our society. I 100% agree with that. I love it when people say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nick, this has been so much fun. And I challenge you, if you're coming to Juicy, be thinking about these things, be asking the hard questions. Like that is what Juicy is for. It's so we can help next level each other in this industry so that we can provide more awesome spaces across the world. And Nick will be there and he'll be speaking on Friday. So um, you guys get out of bed and get to Nick's talk on Friday. Yeah, don't drink too much on Thursday night, please. Yeah, I don't see how anybody could possibly do that at the party hosted by Bond and Vary. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Thank you, Liz. Thanks. We will see you soon. Okay. Goodbye. Take care, y'all. And we'll see you on the next Juicy Podcast. Mm-hmm.